1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the
1: Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to The Hash. It's me, Zach. I got Jensen Assi. I got Adam Levine. We're on Coindesk TV. That's pretty cool. Coindesk Podcast Network, also super cool. Check it out. Good stuff. We're here to talk about today's news and crypto and more. And I'm going to kick it straight to Jen for the first story of the day. Jen, what do you got?
0: All right. We got some more developments with FTX, according to a report by The Wall Street Journal. FTX is moving ahead with plans to restart its international exchange. CEO John J. Ray III is quoted in the article saying that the company has, quote, begun process of soliciting interested parties to the reboot of the FTX.com exchange. Sources say the company has already had early talks with investors about different structures, including possibly a joint venture. Adam, I'm going to kick this one off to you. Seems like FTX 2.0 could be on the horizon. What do you make of this?
2: Well, I think it makes sense uh, just from the perspective of if you were going to try to get value out of this brand, then this would be the way to do it. FTX, although it had a pretty abrupt fall from grace, really was a top exchange for a good amount of time, not necessarily for folks in the US. We weren't really allowed to use it, much to my chagrin at the time. But in hindsight, that turned out to be pretty all right. The reality, though, is that if they can reboot it, then there probably is substantial brand value to be had there. And that could wind up being a better way to recover, uh, you know, much of kind of the, the losses that appear to have been incurred here for folks who have funds trapped in there. It could also work out well for the company as well, because it likely would mean that not just kind of beyond the restarting, that there would be some type of equity allocation that would actually go to people who are owed money by the exchange. And so that could then allow the company to keep kind of more liquid capital and go from being something that just gets liquidated, you know, down to, to nothing, you know, to pay off what it can to instead continuing as a going concern, which would be better for some of the parties who are involved here. So I think that it makes sense. I think ultimately it'll be hard to pull off. Uh, you know, there's a lot of challenges around trying to reboot this type of brand in this type of situation, but it makes sense that they would try. Zach?
1: Yeah. A lot of people who used FTX really liked the interface, right? They liked the UX. They liked the functionality. People were fans of it. Uh, Whatever was going on behind the scenes wasn't evident to them. The massive dumpster fire that apparently was FTX at Alameda wasn't apparent to a lot of users who really sang the praises of the trading interface uh, at FTX. So the idea that they would kind of roll out that technology certainly makes sense. I think it shows some forward thinking by John J. Ray III. J.J. Ray out here launching things uh, despite maybe some initial skepticism that this would ever come to pass. I know we expressed a lot of that skepticism on this show previously. So if this ends up being the case, I mean, yeah, hats off to him for trying to get money back into the system and pay out people who are harmed by what appears to be or what is alleged to be a pretty massive fraud. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I think the thing that I'm most interested in is which backers back FTX 2.0, which venture funds sign up, sign their name on the line, put their name next to the FTX brand and say, "You know what? We're we're doing it. We're we're going all in." There were some fans of this product in the past and we think we can breathe some life into it in a way that makes sense. That to me is actually going to be the interesting thing. No names were mentioned in the piece. Um, but you know, reportedly, at least JJ Ray is making the rounds and saying, who wants to back this thing? I'm very curious to see who that ends up being. Jen?
0: Yeah. The piece said that, uh, parties that want to be involved must submit indication interest by the end of this week. So if you're watching and you, you want to be a part of this, you have until Friday. And they also, the piece also said that Figure is allegedly interested in helping FTX restart, you'll remember that they bid on the rights to Celsius, but lost to the consortium that, that won that bid. So interesting. I am also very curious to see who could get behind this, but it sounds like it's probably, Adam, to your point, one of the better ways to get funds back into the hands of customers, to give customers some kind of something that can make up for what's happened over the past year with FTX. I see Will Foxley has joined us. Will, what are your thoughts on the possibility of FTX 2.0? And welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much. I don't know what you guys just said, so I might just be (laughs) repeating it, but that's okay. I'm going to still say it with enthusiasm. I think they should relaunch FTX 2.0. I hope they do go along with this. Why? Because there's a lot of creditors involved with this. And maybe, maybe, maybe everyone who's involved here can get some money back. We've seen all the other stories of failed exchanges, right? People get like ten cents back on the dollar, fourteen cents back on the dollar. Well, what if there's a world where FTX is able to reboot itself and pay back everyone the full amount of their money in USD terms? That's a pretty fantastic ending, though a very unlikely one. I know there's a lot of people on crypto Twitter who are pushing for FTX 2.0. They're like putting in their bios, they're putting in like their handles, saying like we want this to occur. It's typically people who obviously lost a lot of money and are well down, like the creditor stack that are unlikely to get money because all the money goes to people who had loans out to FTX or our lawyers work in the chapter 11 case. So that's what I'm cheering for. I think there's a place for another exchange out there. It's sort of like the Ledger News yesterday with the institutional trading firm that they're trying to boot up. There is a vacuum right now. After FTX left, a lot of liquidity left the market. A lot of people didn't know where to trade. Coinbase is under siege, Binance is under siege. I think it's prime time for another person to step up and build an exchange to a lot of people can use? Did I repeat anyone's talking points?
1: How was that? That was highly valued. I think value supported our Coming points. Coming in blind, like, that was nice. Yeah.
0: That was yeah. really good. It's professional. Thank I you. will say that. I wonder how regulators are going to use the narrative. I don't I I know there will be probably no validity to saying something like you know, FTX failed customers. There was like massive wrongdoing behind the scenes, and here we are. FTX is back again. I can see regulators saying that. I can see them using this narrative to push regulation that maybe is not favorable to to the industry. Not saying it has any validity to it, but I can see that happening. Separately, customers have until the end of September to submit bankruptcy claims. So I just wanted to get that in there. If you were a customer of FTX, you should be receiving a link to submit your bankruptcy claim. And you have until the end of September to do that. That is my public service announcement to the people. Very
2: nice. Thank you, Jen. Okay, cool. Let's <laughs> move on to our next story. <laughs> so next up, Publicly listed exchange Coinbase continues to battle allegations from the U.S. securities regulator, which has accused the company of exposing users to what the SEC alleges are unregistered securities. A security, whether registered or not, is essentially a contract with obligations laid out and defined in at least basic terms. And that is the crux of Coinbase's argument for for why the SEC is in the wrong here. Quote, because no such obligations are carried in the transactions over Coinbase's secondary market exchange. And because the value that Coinbase purchasers receive through these transactions adheres to the thing bought and traded rather than in the business that generated them, the transactions are not securities transactions, end quote. This is a somewhat controversial take, just because, again, in the world of cryptocurrency, there's a lot of questions about what really is a security as it relates to the Howey test. Uh, Zach, I'm going to throw this one to you first. Kind of what's your read on this argument? Is this a strong argument for them?
1: I think it's a very interesting legal tack. I think what you laid out, right, is that tokens don't guarantee an ownership stake in projects that ostensibly launch them, right? They exist, they do their thing. There's no uh, public disclosure requirements in terms of uh, how these alleged securities would disclose that information to investors. So Coinbase is saying, hey, this isn't what you think it is. It, it, it does not exist within the existing purview and you've failed to establish clear rulemaking and instead have chosen enforcement. So that, I think I think that's honestly, the crux of the argument, and is an interesting argument, is going to be an interesting one to advance through the courts and to see if judges are sympathetic to this argument and whether or not the US securities regulators have have done their due diligence in trying to establish a framework for what these other things will be regulated as. Gary Gensler obviously has maintained that just because it's a new technology doesn't mean it's not going to be covered by existing securities laws. And Coinbase here is saying, no, that entire premise is wrong and faulty. And how that's all going to get arbitrated in court is going to be really fascinating. But yeah, interesting to see this as the initial volley. Wouldn't have necessarily expected that this would have been the approach. But certainly, like, it's a strong statement. That's, that's what I'll say. Will, it's will it to you.
3: Yeah, I actually kind of disagree with Coinbase here. I think that some tokens that they list are not securities, but some of them do fall under the parameters of what a security would be, even if they use different language and wording. Let's take, for example, a governance token. There's a lot of governance tokens listed on Coinbase. You're able to purchase them there. These governance tokens basically have one purpose, that is to govern the function of a DAO that controls the network. And these DAOs' purpose is to streamline the network, adopt more users, and generally increase the price of the token. It's like a classic flywheel for these things. And now, that's been well known for, for a lot of these projects. You need that. And I actually don't disagree that that's not a good use case for these tokens. I think a governance token can have a good place. But if it quacks like a duck, I think you sort of get the picture, right? Like there could be some problems here. Now, not all the tokens that are listed on Coinbase are that. I think some of them are like that. So I, I sort of take a different stance. I just think like the Howey test in general is like an old outdated law and could be changed based on the fact that, you know, things have changed, technology has changed, and there's probably a better way of enforcing regulations than what they're doing currently. The other thing I wanted to bring up was the Coinbase. Part of this Coinbase article was talking about how they don't like the enforcement actions that have been taken to date. Quote, For years, Coinbase has voluntarily submitted to regulation by multiple overlapping regulatory bodies, has adhered to the public and limited formal guidance from the SEC, senior SEC staff, and the courts about the application of securities laws to its industry. They're basically taking another stance within this argument saying, not only do we think the securities laws are wrong, but we've tried to listen to you guys and you guys have not helped. And therefore, this whole thing should be thrown out in the first place because you're going against your own guidance, which to me is like, almost like a one-two punch like coming at them, but also sort of helps them in the back case that you know, whoever is the, the judge here disagrees with Coinbase on the securities point, but maybe will agree with them on the fact that the SEC has not been following through with their enforcement actions in like a healthy way throw it over to Jen.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good argument. And Will, to your point, I mean, there are all of these tokens that exist and there is the theoretical use case for it, but then there's how people are actually using that token. And, and we need to take all of that information into consideration. I think what this highlights is there's the Howey test. It's been used in one way by the SEC for a really long time, but when applied to this industry, maybe there are aspects of the Howey test that are left up for interpretation which then means the Howey test maybe is not the best tool to use if it can be left up to interpretation. And I think Coinbase's response to this shows just how it can be left to interpretation. Like We're discussing it right now. We're taking different things away from how the Howey test is being applied to different tokens that Coinbase lists. And I think that's um, a good thing to highlight. Zach?
1: I guess the big question like as it relates to Howey is, are tokens the contract to the Orange Farm or are tokens the oranges, right? Are tokens... An investment contract or are they just merely something that maybe was initially involved in what may have been an investment contract and therefore it doesn't necessarily sort of comport with like these existing structures right and there's a lot of fuzziness and a lot of questions around that we've seen a big debate spring up over the launch of prometheum which got a special purpose broker dealer license to trade in digital asset securities but hasn't really offered much detail into how that would actually work in terms of the investor protections and other things set forth by current regulations so this conversation is really fascinating for coinbase to zig in this direction with their sort of initial statement it's just going to make for some really interesting viewing i think in terms of this brewing uh, sec crackdown legal slash regulatory fight that's obviously being played out on multiple fronts right now so yeah another fascinating fascinating move to see
2: I think we can wrap up with, uh, I'm I'm comfortable making a prediction here, which is to say that we're going to see this mess continue probably for another one or two years. And then I think Congress will eventually act in a way that sort of puts this to bed. I agree with the point that like Howie is the tool we have, not the tool that we need. And kind of the the all of the deficiencies with that standard in kind of the modern era, you know, uh, close to 100 years later, I think about 90 years later at this point, that's where the challenge comes into play here is just that We're using a standard that was designed at a time before we understood a lot of stuff that's like on the basic science level, much less kind of the modern era of technology. And so this will eventually get solved. But in the meantime, it's kind of uh, fertile ground for sort of these power games that these regulatory agencies play, where basically their own sort of self-aggrandizement and their importance to the current narrative. Like if the SEC wasn't focused on tokens right now and they weren't focused on cryptocurrencies, Who would care about what they were doing? Who would think about what they were doing? Why would they get more money to do any of the stuff that they're doing? They wouldn't. So this is actually, again, like there's some meaningful incentive in here for them to make the argument that, hey, this is all about us and you better fund us more, right? Give us some more power so that we can protect you from this, even if that's not really the fit. But the beat goes on.
1: And the beat goes on.
3: Are you a fan of lawn art and NFTs? Well, this segment is exactly for you. We're talking about MFers, which is a new project that integrated with Lowe's in order to put the MFers PFP on lawn art. Pretty interesting development here. We have Matt Varnell of Total Marketing Web3 joining us now to talk about it all. Matt, first of all, welcome to the show. And second of all, how did you get Lowe's to go along with this interesting development for the NFT space?
4: Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, very excited to talk about the project. My IRL job is product development, marketing, sourcing. I've been, uh, calling on Lowe's and other big box retailers for about 18 years now. So, uh, you know, it was a perfect, it was a match made in heaven. I've been a Bitcoin guy going back to slightly late, but about 2020 that transitioned into NFTs, discovered the MFers. What really intrigued me about the project was the CC zero. Uh, aspect of it to where it's essentially public domain. Sartoshi, when he put out the project, uh, did so in the manner where MFers can do what they want with it. So you can you can take it, you can put it on product. Uh, it's it's open to anyone to use that for whatever means they see necessary.
0: Okay, I have well, to I have sorry, to ask you: Does Lowe's know what MFers is like? How how did this conversation happen? Like how did you get the flag to be sold on the Lowe's website?
4: So if you go into a Lowe's store today and you shop garden flags, I'm actually responsible for their everyday seasonal business, right? So there's a a line of communication already established there. You know it, this transitions from from season to season. You have your holiday winter, you go into to spring summer, you know. So just at fall and then kind of circles back around. So you know I'm constantly having you know, meetings with the merchant team this idea to sort of test the you know, test the theory of can web3 help push whether it's the marketing the sales the engagement in the right direction it basically took them trusting me believe it or not to to make this thing work the buyer himself didn't have a, a history in nft's crypto so to speak so um basically I said trust me on this one let's see what happens this is a test and i got the green light so yeah it was uh it was a lot of selling on my side, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, so that makes total sense to me as far as how this would
2: happen. Thank you for the additional context on that. I'm super curious about the CC zero connection uh, here, kind of in all of this stuff. Again, like CC zero is something that's been getting trendy, sort of in the world of NFTs. Sure. Um, and basically, it means that that they retain the owners retain no rights, and anybody can really do whatever they want. That seems like that's kind of a double edged sword, though. And kind of, can you talk? Can you talk about? How you're thinking about kind of the CC0 component and whether this is something that you would look to be doing more in the future, perhaps with other brands?
4: Yes, I would say absolutely. Uh, From our perspective, it's more about the entire community of MFers and and, and NFTs really as a whole from the CC0 standpoint, right? So what we've discovered is it's almost like a built-in marketing team of devout supporters of not only the MFer project, but NFTs as a whole the sort of guerrilla marketing that's happened with Twitter uh specifically is it was somewhat unexpected to be honest with you, but we've kind of flipped the narrative to where now the the consumer becomes the the marketer. So I mean we have we're all over Twitter at this point with people finally this week receiving the product in the mail, uh putting it out there. From the CC zero aspect, there's no licensing fees. I mean I've worked with Disney, I've worked with other, you know, Big brands in the past where there is a hefty licensing fee there. So, really, it was, it was an experiment. Can we bridge Web 2 with Web 3 and see if the CC0 thing can actually fly? Fly, flag pun. That was
1: nice. Good work. <laughs> Correct. Um, so, uh. Right <laughs> Yeah. So I think like Web3 is sort of famously small relative to like mass market numbers. Right. If you look at like sure. people who are interacting with the Ethereum blockchain or the people who are transacting on OpenSea on a monthly basis, it's still in the tens of thousands relative to the millions, the volume that you know, mass retailers are looking for. So I guess my question is, how is this interest leading to sales? How's it going so far? And what is like the total addressable market look like uh, for this particular product?
4: Yeah, you're you're exactly right. So I've sold Lowe's everything from vanities to closet systems, decorative hardware, functional hardware, seasonal product, and and the numbers are astronomical. There's you know tens of thousands of containers that we're shipping in on an annual basis into the into the Lowe's uh, supply chain. With that being said, you're exactly right. I mean, there's only what five thousand active wallets that are actually trading NFTs at this point. What I thought would happen and what actually did happen. Is the idea that the engagement from low side? So they have their Twitter account, right? And it's not the most exciting account going. As as most big box retailers, Home Depot, same story. They have gotten probably a hundred X plus engagement just within this Web three community. So outside of selling the products, what we've discovered is it's it's really become a a very very strong marketing play for these guys, and they're seeing that the The analytics from from you know their their engagement it looks like a hockey stick it's gone straight up so it's that's where the where they see the benefit of, of partnering with us and doing something here it, it's more about the engagement and the, the the pure marketing aspect of it
1: got it we are gonna leave it there I have to ask you know if we wanted if we worked it out could we get like a hash garden flag going could we get all of us on a flag in a low well
4: day? this is not just a one off situation it's called seasonal efforts. Season one, edition one, we have a Halloween flag, which, of course, will feature the zombie MFR on it. We have a holiday flag in the works. We have a winter flag in the works. In between, we're going to put out one of these uh, 6529 Freedom to Transact. And that's going to happen, I'd say, in the next six to eight weeks, somewhere in there. So this is going to be an ongoing project for us. So we're going to have new designs, new products.
1: All right, fair enough. Well, thank
4: you, Matt Varnell, for joining you us
1: and talking about thank this. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you later about our flag. All right. That's going to be it for the show today. We're going to wrap it there. That was a fun conversation. We will be back tomorrow talking about more crypto news. I am Zach Seward. We got Jensen Sinassi. We got Adam Levine. We got Will Foxley for now, but that stunt right there, I don't know. We might need to boom off the hash. <laughs> I'm getting me and a long see. flag, boys. There we go. There we go. There we go. Special edition Foxley print. It's going to be hot. All right. That's it for the show today. Thanks so much. Check us out on the podcast network. Check us out on coindesk.com. A lot of great stories there as always. We'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Thanks for being here. Bye.